it's another shadow talk as issues on Route 53, as lots of traffic diverted due to man in the middle, will navigate you through the latest news on BGP hijacking. Healthcare companies in the crosshairs again will be dishing the dirt on Orange Worm, a campaign targeting healthcare, but also some other sectors. Amid yet more news of malware switching to cryptocurrency mining, we ask, why bother? And we say, do we to DDoS as the Dutch police take down yet another criminal marketplace? This time, it's the DDoS marketplace known as WebStressor. We'll assess this and also the remaining DDoS as a service market. All this and so much more in this week's Shadow Talk. Hello and welcome to the pod to Rose Bernard. Hello, Rose. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very well, thanks. We had our office opening last night. Um, and so uh, you had a, a rather early row, I understand, this morning. I did. And it was, it, it was not pleasant. It was, <laughs> I, I was not performing my best, I'm not going to lie. Probably thankful for it now, though, I imagine. Yes. Harrison, yes. Harrison, you're here as well. What were you up to at 5.30 this morning? Uh, Mike, I was in bed, like, <laughs> like most people, I would assume. Yeah, most people. <laughs> well, I guess let's start with Rose um, before she falls asleep, because we've got a big news this week as we've got a new new threat actor that's been targeting the healthcare industry. It's been dubbed Orange Worm, has been conducting got targeted attacks against European, American, and Asian organizations. We understand the group has been active since at least January 2015, and about 40% of targets have been healthcare related. Uh, Rose, what, what do we know about the TTPs of this group, Orange Worm? Well, they're actually a really, really interesting group, and it's primarily because we don't know that much about them yet. So we do know that they used a custom backdoor malware called Quampers, um, which always, I always confuse with Krampus. But it kind of actively, yeah, it actively copies itself across a compromised open network to infect all devices on that network. And then once it in, it's in, it has a hard list of command and control servers, and then it cycles through them until it finds one that can make a connection. We know that it's there to gather information and to exfiltrate sensitive data. And it's been identified on healthcare devices. And these healthcare devices if you look at them specifically, they seem really quite random and esoteric. So we've got high-tech imaging devices, x-ray machines. But if you look at them in the round, it's likely that we're just seeing it on these devices because it's infecting all of the devices across the network. Yeah, there's certainly some sensitive data in there. I remember when we looked at before, like uh, certain file types, DCIM, Definitely, although they appear to be images and things like that, they've got some personal information as well in there. So I'm sure there's yeah. lots of juicy stuff to be had. For sure. In, in terms of the propagation technique that you mentioned, is this something new or have we seen it before? No, so the propagation method is actually quite old, but it's still quite effective because the healthcare industry tends to use Windows XP. And so it's really, really effective against that older mechanism without being found, without being detective. Yeah, and this really demonstrates why healthcare itself is such an attractive target. Firstly, they've got, like you said, all this sensitive data and valuable patient records. Um, but also they tend to be running a fair amount of older systems, which are more likely to be unpatched and unsupported by uh, their original developers. Yeah, and we've seen those two things coming together, I guess, a couple of times before. 
most notably with the Dark Overlord, who has since expanded into other sectors. But healthcare remains true to his his heart. Obviously, his main aim was to make a bit of money. Um, do we think it's a similar type of thing, financially motivated or more of a advanced threat type of thing? Yeah, I mean, like like you said, you know, previous attacks against. Uh, healthcare entities have often been for corporate espionage or financial motives, um, usually involving like the theft of theft and resale of um, stolen patient records. Um, there's no real indication that Orange Worm, Orange Worm are nation state affiliated, uh, and the group did did not demonstrate um, any tactics that were normally associated with um, an APT or advanced persistent threat groups. Um, such as trying to, you know, ob- obfuscate their attacks and try and remain um, kind of undetected. Uh, it's more likely to be a criminal group or potentially an individual. So if you are in one of these sectors, and it's not just healthcare, there's a few others as well. Is there anything we can do to be more prepared for a similar type of attack? Well, it's largely just about making sure that your systems are updated regularly. We say we give this mitigation advice in quite a lot of attacks, but when you have backdoors that target older systems, actually a lot of these attacks can be mitigated against just by making sure that your systems are updated. Okay. On to the second main story of the week, and this one's another a biggie. We're going to talk about BGP hijacking. First of all, what is BGP? So BGP is the acronym for the Border Gateway Protocol. And what that's used for is to allow internet traffic to be exchanged between network operators. So this week, we saw BGP being abused to target approximately 1,300 IP addresses belonging to Route 53, which is Amazon's domain name service. Attackers leveraged the BGP floor for about two hours in order to reroute the traffic intended for the Route 53 service to another server, which was then used to perform a man-in-the-middle attack. So it redirected some traffic to an attacker-controlled website. Okay, Um, fascinating stuff. How tricky is this to achieve in reality? Do you know? So actually... It's not that hard, but it relies on your access to BGP routers from internet service providers. Um, So in this case, Enet is the target ISP. And in this case also, they used, attackers used an unknown entry vector. So they leveraged the relationship between Enet and their peers to announce a subset of domains which were to be redirected to their domains. So it's both quite simple, but it relies on some quite tricky components at the same time. And obviously you need to pick an affected target as well um, yeah. to be duped into providing some sensitive information. What was the victim domain in, in this case? So there are quite a lot of targets that we don't know about, but one identified target was myetherwallet.com. Oh, there we go. Harrison can feel you itching to be talking about cryptocurrency, but you'll, you'll have to hold your horses for now. Oh, man. <laughs> So legitimate traffic was redirected to a server and it was hosted in Russia and this served a website with a fake certificate. The attackers were then able to harvest credentials for using att- for users attempting to access that site and their wallets and then drain their legitimate user accounts. And I think it's estimated that they stole up to maybe $150,000 worth of cryptocurrency. Um, 
despite this, they didn't use a valid certificate on the cryptocurrency phishing site. So visitors had to ignore browser certificate warnings, which probably reduced the effectiveness of the attack. Like, and kind of a pop-up appears on your browser telling you that it's not secure. That puts you off a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a really odd one, uh, particularly given that you can just buy these quite valid certificates online anyway. Um, so, so why hamstring yourself by doing that? Yeah. Anyway, let's, um, let's see how that develops in the next week or so, and, and hopefully we'll come back to it next week. But let's stick around this area, because I've got a question for you, Harrison. What do Retidup, Bitvo, and Pyramine have in common? Ah, well, these are all cryptocurrency-related stories from this week, and you know that I love some good cryptocurrency updates. <laughs> so, uh, so first up this week, the Reddit up malware, which was previously seen conducting information-gathering attacks, uh, has apparently switched tactics and is now functioning as a Monero cryptocurrency miner. Uh, and this is a pretty significant shift in the function of this malware. You know, information gathering is usually associated with espionage activity, but the switch to mining cryptocurrency implies the developers are looking to cash in and appear to be more motivated by financial gain. Um, we, we've recently seen a, a ransomware switch to cryptocurrency mining, but that's more of a lateral move in terms of motivation, so going from financial to another financial motivation. Um, this switch from espionage to financial is more significant, so we'll see where this one um, kind of ends up in the future. Uh, the next one you mentioned was an interesting story involving the BitVote uh, cryptocurrency, which launched in January of this year. Attackers targeted the source code repository during the actual development of the BitVote uh, cryptocurrency, which enabled them to infect hundreds of devices with the CPU miner software. Um, and so that's pretty interesting in itself, but uh, they also used a kernel mode driver to manage their command and control infrastructure, which is pretty unusual, uh, mainly because it requires a fairly high level of uh, technical understanding to kind of develop something like that. Um, unfortunately for the attackers, though, it seems that out of the 2,500 bots that they infected with their CPU miner, they've only earned about $1,500. Um, and this kind of suggested that the technical expertise required for this kind of attack may not necessarily be worth the trouble that it, you know, kind of required. Um, but again, something to, something to kind of keep an eye on. And then finally, uh, we have Pyromine, which is a newly discovered cryptocurrency uh, mining malware, which takes advantage of the eternal romance exploit. And just for a little bit of background on this, eternal romance was one of the several alleged... Um, National Security Agency exploits released by the Shadow Brokers in April of 2016. Um, now, Pyromine was not the first miner that has been seen taking advantage of these um, alleged NSA exploits. Edelkuz, Wanamine, and Smominru have all targeted the more heavily reported um, Eternal Blue exploit with pretty good success. Um, one of the Monero wallets associated with Pyromine has only gathered about $650, uh, but there, there could be some other wallets out there that we just don't really know about yet. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of a, kind of a wrap-up of the cryptocurrency-related stories from this week. Cheers, Harrison. I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted on this. I feel it is sort of interesting that everybody's flocking still to do some crypto jacking and mining. 
but it happened so much. I, I think I may have fatigue. I'm feeling a little bit skeptical about the extent to how much they actually make money. I mean, you've said in that last one, $600 on one of the accounts. Par, um, on the BitVote one, it's 1500 I mean, why, why bother? I mean, why not just, just work at a normal job? I mean, it's not particularly profitable, is it? <laughs> it's a legitimate, legitimate question. Um, so currently, it, it can be a little bit hard to tell. Uh, you have examples like the ones that I just mentioned that seemingly have not really produced a massive you know, return on investment for criminals. Um, like I said, Pyromine pulled in just under $1,000, and the attack on BitVote has apparently only pulled in about 1500 bucks. So on the other hand, there has been some research from just this year that stated a botnet of about 4,000 systems infected with a cryptocurrency miner was able to pull in more than $30,000 a month, which obviously would be hugely successful. Um, so there's a couple different knowledge gaps that kind of exist in this space, um, including, you know, kind of what is, what is it that really makes these different attacks so drastically different? Um, from from one another in terms of their returns on investment. So, but I, I really think that the bottom line here is that yes, they can be profitable, but the developers of these miners are really still trying to determine the best ways to maximize their returns. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess that these pieces of malware are switching to cryptocurrency. That's that's clear. Uh, so there must be some money in there. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Harrison. Maybe it's an area we can we can do a bit more uh, digging into over the next few weeks. Let's now talk about microtick routers and vulnerabilities to them. This vulnerability was actually in the operating systems that they run, right, Rose? Yeah. So they affected, or the vulnerability affected router OS version since kind of version 6.29 and it allowed a special tool which we're not sure about but to connect to the Winbox port which is a remote administration console. So Mike Critic has said that there's no way to tell if a device was vulnerable and so they're just recommending to users who have the Winbox port open to untrusted networks to assume that they were infected. Okay. While we have not seen any public proof of concept exploit code, people may still be interested. What should they do about this or can they do about this if they are? So mitigation advice from Microtech is largely about applying the available patch. Um, they can change administrator passwords and also add firewall protection to the router itself. Okay. What, what I'm more interested in is what use do these routers actually have to adversaries? Uh, we've seen a few of these being incorporated in other popnets before, and I, I don't have a great idea of actually how they're being used. Yeah, I mean, we've seen them targeted before by the Slingshot APT group, uh, mainly to conduct espionage-related activity against their, their targets. Um, we've also seen the Hajime botnet, uh, which is believed to be made up of microtick routers specifically. Um, there's no evidence really of a, of a Mirai style uh, DDoS attack, uh, but that's definitely kind of a concern and the reason why we kind of like to highlight stuff like this. Yeah, that, that certainly would be a concern uh, with all of those in, in the botnet. So definitely one to keep an eye on. But talking of DDoS, we've actually got some good news 
this week uh, because on the 25th of April, Europol issued a press release about a joint law enforcement operation with others, including the Dutch police, uh, which led to the arrest of the administrators of webstresser.org. Uh, now, Webstressor was a marketplace for renting and distributed denial of service or, or DDoS services offering products for, for pretty low fees as well. It's reported that the site had well over 100,000 users with over 4 million attacks attributed to its services. So a significant player in the scheme of things. Yeah, and I mean, while this operation will probably reduce activity from some DDoS as a service vendors, mainly because they're concerned about kind of law enforcement action. Um, it's likely that other web stressor users w and vendors will move to kind of alternative marketplaces in the next three months or so, most likely. Yeah, that's a good point. There's certainly not a shortage of DDoS providers online, even with the takedown of, of the ma major marketplaces um, last year. Okay, that's all we have time for this week, but let's go to each of you for a key takeaway. Lots to talk about this week, so uh, it's just one, I'm afraid. So my key takeaway this week would be about the importance of including your supply chain in your cybersecurity strategy. So a lot of the ways that infections like the orange worm attack happen is through a supply chain. So it's not enough to just look at your immediate organization. It's about the software that your organization uses as well. Okay. Yeah. I think that'll be a reoccurring theme uh, throughout the rest of the year as well. Cheers, Rose. Harrison, what about from you? Yeah. So my key takeaway this week, uh, it is centered around cryptocurrency. So wow, I'll keep it. Is it? <laughs> It is a shock it. horror. I'll, I'll keep it short, but um, basically, kind of one of the things that gets uh, kind of lost, I guess, within the cryptocurrency mining discussion is the fact that these pieces of malware also have different abilities to, you know, execute um, arbitrary code on on the infected systems. So, well, you know. People like to think that, oh, well, it's not that big of a concern, or some people even think like, oh, why do I care if a, if a cryptocurrency miner is on my machine? It's not really doing me any harm. The potential is there for more serious actions to be kind of taken in the future. So, um, so yeah, just something to keep in mind. I, I think that's actually, a, I, I've given you a lot of grief for this, Harrison, but that's actually a really, really good point um, about the broader implications of all of these different innovative techniques that are used to, to put miners on people's computers. So that's, what, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much to both of you uh, for joining and speak to you next week. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's Shadow Talk. For more information and resources, visit resources.digitalshadows.com.